0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. A message that I preached to you about, uh, of just talking about, you know, burning ones would be a people of worship. They would be a people of the presence of God, that they would desire God, that they would desire to make God known that in, in, in every facet of their life. And so I believe it's so important that we understand that we be thankful in every moment, that we be thankful in every opportunity. One of the last verses that I had read you uh, in that last message was from Hebrews 12 and 28. And you can highlight this in your Bible. But it says, since, it says therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It says, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. I'll read that one more time. Since since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. God is not shaken by the things that you and I are shaken by. God is not concerned about the things sometimes that you and I get concerned with. God is stable in everything that he does. He's, he's immovable, if you will. He, he, he isn't, his foundation doesn't get weak. He doesn't, you know, you know shift with, with every, you know, blow of the wind or anything like that. God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, The God that we serve is the God that is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same forever. Amen? And circumstance sometimes has a way of shifting you, it has a way of changing you, it has a way of moving you, it has a way of, of, you know, getting you to, to waver back and forth. And so who will agree with me tonight that I believe it's important for us, church, that in these times and in these days that we're living in, that we need to come back to covenant with God. We need to come back to covenant with God because our God is a God of covenant. Amen. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen. You know, the Lord hasn't failed you. That should have been a good time to say amen. I said the Lord hasn't failed you. Despite what you might think could be failure, God has not failed you. The Lord has come through. The Lord has rescued you. The Lord has delivered you, amen. And so I believe that we need to make a covenant with God to never turn back on him no matter what happens. No matter what happens in this world that we would make a covenant promise with God to say, Lord, I am going to see you through until your kingdom comes. I am gonna see you through, Lord, until you split the eastern sky and take me to be with you forever, The enemy is working hard right now in these moments in this time that we are living in to sever your relationship with God. Can somebody say amen tonight? He is working fast and he is working very diligently to sever your relationship with God. Anything that he can do, if he can cause offense in your life to get you to, 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 you know, hold on to some, you know, deal of unforgiveness or some kind of thing, he will do it. If it's tormenting your body with some kind of affliction or something, he'll do it. He'll do anything that he can do within his power to try to get you to turn your back on God. In this time that we are living in, he wants you to look from God and not look to God. And so because the enemy is fast at work, I want to remind us tonight, church, that we have a God who has made a covenant with us. He said in his word things like this. He said, do not fear, do not be dismayed for I am with you. No matter what I see, no matter what I experience, no matter what is on the horizon, he is with us. He has not forsaken us. Man, that is such an encouragement to my spirit and to my heart to know that this God has not broken covenant with me. To know that he has not said, you know what? Even though, man, you've messed up, even though you've done things in your life, even though you've displeased me with choices and words and actions, his covenant promises will not fail, church. They will not fail you. Now, I want us to look at the word tonight. The Bible gives us several illustrations of people who had faced adversity. They were faced with, with literally their life being on the line. And they did not turn back. And so I'm not one to say things like, you know, it's only going to get worse in our world. You know, the world is getting darker and darker. While those things can be a very real truth, the God that I serve, church, shows up in the most adverse situations. People are so quick to say, oh, you know what, pastor, I just throw my hands in the air and I just, I hope for the best because, you know, this world's just going downhill. God does the best work when the enemy is chasing you to that Red Sea. God does the best work, church, when you're in chains in a prison for your faith. He'll shake the chains off of your life. He does the best work, church, when it seems like it's only going to get worse. How many of you can witness tonight that the Lord has pulled you through when it seemed like it was almost going to tip you over the edge? It was almost the worst moment possible the Lord came through in your life. Amen? Amen. That's the God that we serve. When you thought the pit was too deep to climb out of, he pulled you out. I love that verse in the book of Psalms. It says that he pulled us out of the mud and the mire and he set our feet upon a solid rock. This is the God that we serve. You see, when I was younger, I didn't always realize that. I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. I'm in the middle somewhere. I I, I could be middle-aged because I don't know how long I'm going to live. So I'm 39, that means if I... I don't even know what 39 times 2 is. 78? Sharon's Sharon's giving me the nod. Okay. If If I hit 78, then I'm halfway there right now. And I didn't always think that way. I didn't always understand when I felt like I was going through something that was difficult, when I felt like something was challenging my faith, sometimes I felt as though God had abandoned me. And that's not the truth. That is nothing but a lie of the enemy because his word says that he will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. And so I can admit over the years that I've been saved, the thought of turning back has crossed my mind. The thought of giving up. I don't know about you, but I know that the enemy at times had me pinned up against, you know, hopelessness. And there was times where the enemy completely had me in his grasp of thinking that there was was no hope for me. That this life that I was living was, I was a fraud, you know, because I kept failing God. I kept sinning. I kept doing things that I didn't want to do. And, 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 And he had me in this pit of hopelessness thinking that God had abandoned me. Thinking that God had turned his back on my life. And I'm sure that you could admit the same, that you've gone through things in your life where, you know, it seemed like the enemy had pinned you into a corner and you were in the valley of decision, and the enemy comes in those moments. He will come in those moments to plant seeds of discouragement into your life. Nothing but lies and deceit. Persecution and, and ridicule, they will, they will try to scare you away from serving God. And so the enemy, because he's fast at work at doing these things, the result sometimes can be we get so pushed from God that the thought actually crosses your mind to give up. And I'm here to tell you tonight, now is not the time to give up. In fact, it's never a good time to give up on the Lord. It is never a good time to give up on your salvation. Fear stills and fear stops While faith stays and is saved. Peter and John, I want us to look at this story in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. If you have your Bible, you could turn it there. And I'll get there in just a second. But Peter and John, they were targets of the enemy after Christ had ascended back into heaven. Now, how many of you know that Peter and John, you know, they were some of the disciples. You know, John was the beloved and, and Peter was the one that had denied Jesus. But the Lord had reinstated Peter. And, and I believe a new anointing came upon the life of Peter because he wasn't going to be just this normal guy that had failed God before. But God was about to use his life in such a powerful way. And so these men became enemies uh, of the cross of Christ after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And one day they were challenged by the Sanhedrin. And so Peter and John, they had been preaching Christ and they were converting many, many souls to Jesus. Now, I want to stop there just for a second because that's the work of God, is to preach the gospel, to preach Christ, and to lead others to Christ. Let me, let me just r- remind you tonight, church, that this is everyone's duty. This is the Great Commission. Amen. Amen. We are to be those that preach the gospel, not just from a pulpit, not just with a microphone, but through our very life. There's that saying that says, you know, To show people that example of Jesus in your life and to live out your life for Jesus. And it says, and when necessary, use words. If your life is so immersed in Christ and you are so surrendered to the Lord and to his work, others will see Jesus in you and through you. If you are about the Father's business, and you are doing what the lord has commanded you to do others will see jesus in you it's very simple amen so the sanhedrin they had come to this conclusion that peter and john had actually met with jesus let's read this in roman uh, i'm sorry in acts 4 and 13 it says when they saw the courage of peter and john they realized they were unschooled everybody say unschooled they hadn't gone to school they didn't go to seminary they weren't part of a bible college they didn't have plaques on the wall They were unschooled. Now, I'm not telling you to not go to school. I'm just saying they were unschooled. It goes on to say they were ordinary men and they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. We're talking about turning back. We're talking about giving up. And we see here in this moment that these men were so full of the Holy Ghost. They were about the work of God. They were doing what the Lord had commanded them to do. They were going about the Father's business. They were reaching souls for Christ. They were leading people to Christ. The Bible says they converted many souls. And now there is a man that is standing next to them that is completely healed. And it goes on to say that these accusers, these Sanhedrin men that had them in court under trial said there was nothing they could say. There was nothing that could be said. Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. How many of you know that the power of God is undeniable? It is undeniable. When God does something, it is undeniable. It's without question. It's not something that people consider, oh, you know what, maybe that was a coincidence. No, they knew it was God. They 100% knew that it was God, and they said there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can say. I want to encourage you tonight as the body of Christ, That when you're doing the work of God and when you are fulfilling the commission of God in your life. And this is part of it. I need to say this because people sometimes think, oh, you know what, Pastor Duke, you know, know, nobody's ever going to be healed from me because that's only for special people. Listen, Matthew chapter 10 debunks that whole thing. Go read it on your own time. But read the commission and read the plan and read the purpose which Christ had sent out his disciples with. To heal the sick, to raise the dead. To lay hands on the sick, to preach the gospel. This mission has not changed. Everybody say, it has not changed. It hasn't changed. Oh, but that's only for that. No, 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 no. It has not changed. You can meet somebody and encounter somebody today, tonight, And go pray for them. And watch God do a miracle. And your mind's going to go. And he's going to get exalted. And there's nothing the world can say about it. There's nothing that the world could say. Everybody living in Jerusalem. It says. Knows they had done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. Verse 17. Here's the key. But to stop this thing from spreading any further. Amongst the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. How many of you know that no matter what you say and no matter what you do and no matter how much you try to discredit the word of God, no matter how many people you try to silence, you cannot stop the work of God in the name of Jesus from prevailing forward. They started then and they're still trying to do it now. Amen. You cannot stop the work of God. It goes on to say, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Verse 18, then they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is something I want to harp on just for a second. Because in your workplace, in your job, in your society, online, wherever it is that you go, people are telling you to be silent church. And I need to give you uh, the, the, the word of God. Verse 19, let's just keep going. It said, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than to obey God. People are going to try to stop you from saying what you need to say, from saying what the Holy Spirit is telling you to say, from saying what God is urging you to say. But you need to understand this, church. The world does not need a scared church. They need a bold church. The world does not need a bunch of Christians that are too afraid to step on somebody's toes or to offend anybody. They're never going to get saved if we keep doing that. They'll never receive Jesus if we keep our mouth shut. Had the disciples obeyed these tyrannical orders from these Sanhedrin leaders, you and I wouldn't know Jesus today. Peter and John replied Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than to obey God. Verse 20 For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Every time that I've experienced the Lord, every time I have seen God do something, church, I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop talking about it. And I have to say this because maybe some of you have nothing to talk about. Maybe that's been your witness. It's that you haven't been doing the work of God, therefore you have nothing to say. But I can tell you as an individual that has done everything in my power to try to share this love, life-saving gospel with this, with this world church. That my mouth is always full. Because I've seen miracle after miracle. I've seen lives changed. I've seen people delivered. I've seen all kinds of things. And guess what? I'll always have something to testify about. And if you are doing the work of God, you will always have something to testify about. If you're preaching the name of Jesus, you will always have something to testify about. Even if you just simply woke up today and breathed the breath that God put in your lungs, you have something to testify about. Could somebody say amen tonight? But this is what I love. In this moment where they tried to silence Peter and John, there was nothing that could be said because they had the evidence of a healed man. They had the evidence of a healed man. They could have said, well, we don't believe what you say and we don't like what you're doing and any of those things, but there's a guy standing there that's completely delivered and completely healed and there's nothing they could say about it. What happens in this world, I believe, is a circular thing. We see generation after generation, and we see a different method and a different way that the enemy will use to try to still accomplish the same thing. For them, they just flat out told them in court, they said, hey, you know, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And and they still did it. And what was so incredible to me when I read that passage of scripture is that even though they knew God did something, that spirit of Herod, that spirit of Pilate, that spirit of death, that spirit of just animosity, anti-Christ, was so prevalent in their life that though they knew God did it, they still would try to stop that work from happening. And today, church, it is very much the same. Young people won't pray in school anymore for fear of, you know, offending somebody or getting kicked out or whatever. People won't pray in the workplace. I remember when I, before I started working here, you know, I worked at a pharmacy for a few years. And it was at a challenging time in my life where the Lord was you know, really calling me into ministry at that time, and he was just doing a work in my life, and I remember it was so awesome. I had the privilege, you know, I had this NIV paperback Bible, and it was one of those real chunky ones. It was, it was a big one, and in my lunch hour, when I was in the office, you know, every lunch hour, without fail, I would open up the book of Psalms, and I would just read, and I'd read chapter after chapter after chapter, and, and nobody told me anything. In fact, all my coworkers would start asking me questions. What are you reading? I'm like, oh, I'm reading this, you know, and this is what the Lord says. And, and it opened so many doors to be able to minister and share the gospel. And then I would even go out on my lunch, and I was a delivery driver, so I would be in Mission or La Jolla or wherever, you know, and I was always going back and forth. And, and man, I'd have the word open. And I remember there was this young man that had started working with us. His name was Tommy. He only worked with us for a couple months because unfortunately he couldn't show up to work on time. So, you know, he, he just, they had to say bye. But I remember one afternoon we were in the truck and we were, we were driving through McAllen and he just was going through something and I don't remember exactly what it was, but he opened up to me. And right there in the middle of our truck, and I remember exactly where we were, we were on Bicentennial and on Old 83. I led him to Christ in a Nissan frontier, doing my job. I want to tell you, church, there's no limits on the Holy Spirit. There's no limits on God. I'll share another testimony with you. When the Lord saved me, and I guess to this day, because this is what he called me to do, but when the Lord saved me, I I couldn't stop talking about him. And I remember I was a junior in high school, and I had was sitting in class and had the opportunity to speak to this young girl that was in class with me. We were in chemistry. And I'll never forget, she opened up her heart and she just began, you know, talking to me, you know, and and I just began planting the seeds of the word of God in her life and telling her how Jesus died for her sins and he has, you know, he paid the price for forgiveness that we can earn on our own and I'm preaching the gospel to her. And right there in the middle of chemistry class, she receives Christ as her Lord and Savior. (laughs) And the craziest thing happened was she began to weep uncontrollably in the middle of class. I mean, she was just overwhelmed. God was touching her in a good way, right? Like the Lord was just touching her. She was weeping and she was crying in the middle of the class. And the chemistry teacher got upset with me. And he's like, what did you tell her? And I'm like, I didn't say anything bad, you know. And he's like, what did you tell her? And I was like, she got saved, you know. I was like, I don't know how to explain this to you, but she just accepted Christ in the middle of, of chemistry. And he's looking at me like, like what? You know, and I'm like, do you want to accept Jesus too, man? You know, you. Know, he didn't want to, but, but, but she accepted Jesus in the middle of the class. And I'm here to tell you that You're going to hear things in the workplace. You're going to hear people tell you to say, you know, hey, hush, hush about that kind of conversation, hush about that kind of talk. But listen, I'm here to tell you that it's better to obey God than man. The Bible says that we should fear God who can throw both body and soul into hell than to fear men. You see, you might have a fear of men. You might have a fear of what people will try to say, try to influence you with, you know, oh, well, if I say this or if I do that, I might lose hours at work. I might lose my job. I might, you know, lose this relationship. I might, you know, this and that. Listen, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? If we're in this thing, And we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And we are truly calling him Lord. That means he is Lord at all costs, church. At all costs. That there's nothing that this world, that these people around us, that society could do, that social media could censor us from stopping of saying the name of Jesus. Amen? See, the world wants the church to be politically correct. But how many of you know if you're politically correct? correct, you're probably heavenly wrong. If you're politically correct, you don't want to step on anybody's toes, then you're probably wrong in, in the eyes of God. You see, the world is trying everything that it can to silence us from speaking in the power of the name of Jesus. But the problem is, is they cannot deny it. And the solution is you and I not backing down. It is you and I not backing down. You know, there's this question that I had, and it's simply this. How can a believer actually keep silent about Christ and his glorious salvation? I believe one of the main ways that happens is because of fear. But the Bible teaches us that he has commanded us to speak and to teach and to bear witness and testimony of this living God that we serve. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13 says this. It is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And so I love what it says. It says, I believed, and therefore I spoke. If you believe, you will speak. If you don't believe... And you're bound by fear or you're bound by, you know, something that the enemy has has wrapped, you know, just his cords around your life with. Then you won't speak. But the number one tactic that the enemy uses in instances like this is fear. And the number one thing that God tells us not to do when the enemy says that fear is present is to not fear. God's like, do not fear. I am with you. Do not fear, I'm with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. But Pastor Duke, you don't know what they're going to do to me. Make the righteous choice. Make the God-pleasing choice. Please Him more than pleasing what you feel or what you're afraid to do. I believed, therefore I spoke. That is taking our faith and acting upon it. The the Bible says in the book of James, for faith without actions is dead. 1 Peter 3 and 13 says this, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, he says you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. And do not be frightened, he says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. You see, there's a lot of of things that your heart is consumed by and consumed with. There's a lot of things that you have inside of your heart. You have feelings for people, you have have concerns, you have dreams, you have goals, you have cares, whatever it is. There's so many things in your heart, but it says in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Give him all supremacy over your life. This is Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. This is giving the Lord supremacy in your life. That means that everything that he is asking you to do, you give him the freedom to do in your life. Every place he's telling you to go, you give him access to, to lead you there. Every word that you're about to utter out of your mouth, you will not speak it unless he tells you to say it. That's surrender. That's what giving the Lord that place in in your life, that's what that looks like. Because if he's truly Lord, you see, you have to understand that term. Lord is is, is ultimate. It's supreme. And if he's Lord to you, because he's not Lord to everybody, he might be your friend. He might be your counselor. He might be Messiah, but if he's Lord, that takes on a completely, completely different meaning. Because now everything bows to his name. Now every decision goes through him. Every choice in life, every word, every action, every step, It's not just, I did and then, oh God, would you bless that? Or I said this and oh God, would you fix that? Set apart Christ as Lord. I love the second half of this verse. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give an answer Because you will be asked the question. On the night that Peter betrayed Jesus, they asked him the question, weren't you with Jesus? Didn't we see you with him? And there's going to be people that have maybe known that you come to this church or maybe know that you and your family are are professed Christians. Maybe you have it on your bio and social media. Maybe you've shared one of our services on social media at one time. There's people that are going to know your association or your affiliation with Christ. And here it says, be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. So if they say, why are you a Christian? Why are you a believer? Why do you trust in God? Is God real to you? You have to be ready. And when you're connected to Jesus, my friends, where do you start? There's so many things that you can say because you're truly in love with the Lord. Psalm 66 and verse 16 says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. And it says, and let me tell you what he has done for me. I love that. Let me tell you what he has done for me. There is an answer. There is a solution. And guess what? We have a testimony of everything that Jesus has done for us. Amen. And so I need to tell you this church, we're not giving up. Amen. I said, we're not turning back. You see, if you would just think for a moment of the greatness of God, think just for a minute of all the blessings that God has given you, even in your undeserved state. Just think of how the Lord has saved you. Think of how he died for you. Then no adversity that comes your way will be able to sway you and no devil will be able to change your mind about serving him. You see, when I think how far the Lord has brought me, when I think of all the seasons and chapters and it's crazy, the older you get, you know, you start seeing chapters, man. You know, before it was like, you know, a couple lines on a page. And now I got chapters. It was like, man, you know, God saved me. And then God sanctified me. And then God set me apart. And then God chose me. And then God called me. And I've seen just these, these phases of life, how the Lord is, has worked in my life. And then it's like, then the Lord took me from this. And then the Lord brought me out of that. And then the Lord, you know, helped. The Lord gave me a new family. I mean, there's so many things. There's so many chapters that I could go back to in my life. And when you recount the things that the Lord has done for you, when you recall the things that the Lord has done for you, the faithfulness of God in your life, you've got something to share. You've got something to tell the world. Amen. Romans 8 and 31 says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us. Everybody say, if God is for me. me, Say, "Who who can be against me? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He has empowered the church for this moment. He has empowered the church for this season. He has empowered the church for this moment. Right now in the White House and right now in our Supreme Courts, there are some massive, massive life-changing decisions that are happening. He has empowered you for this moment, church. He has empowered you to wake up from your slumber and preach the name of Jesus. There's not that many days left. Pastor Thomas shared a favorite verse of mine on Sunday. And by the way, thank you, Pastor Thomas, for the word. But he said, 2 Peter 3, 9. He said, the Lord is not slow as some understand slowness. But he is what? He's waiting. He's waiting for us to come to repentance church. He's waiting for us to see the error in our ways and to see those flaws, to see those things that, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, you wanted me to do that? Yeah. He's still waiting. The command didn't change, the scripture didn't, you know, wasn't edited. But he's still waiting for us to understand this and get this thing right. One of the greatest truths in all the world is that God did not have to act for man, but he did. God did not have to part the Red Sea for his children, but he did. There's so many things that God didn't have to do, church, but he did because he loves us. He did because he cared. He did because he wanted to see you with him forever. He did what he did so that you could have the opportunity to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life and be with him forever, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's so many things, church, that God did not have to do, but he did. And we need to understand this, that some people think that God owes them something, and He doesn't. You see, for believers, we can rest assured that nothing, absolutely nothing in all creation, could ever separate us from the plan and purpose of God. That is, his, God's love is absolute, it's perfect. You see, and God shall have His perfect love expressed by completing His plan and His purpose in and through your life. You see, and the believer can have absolute assurance that God will work out all things for his good, even the things that fail and are painful in your life to your heart. God should deliver the believer from the struggling and the suffering of this world. And true believers will be conformed to the image of Christ and glorified with him. Jeremiah chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 17 says this It says, get yourself ready. He's talking to Jeremiah, a young man that had an incredible mission and calling on his life. He said, get yourself ready and stand up and say to them, whatever I command you and do not be terrified by them. If God was audibly speaking to your life right now, and he said, get up and speak whatever I tell you to say. Yes, sir. But the problem with this is that many people aren't even tuned into the Holy Spirit. You haven't opened this since Sunday. You haven't even opened this since the week before. And because there's no connection to his heart and there's no connection through his word, You don't know what he's saying. And when he speaks, you're not able to identify his voice. Get yourself ready, stand up and say whatever I command you and do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. He goes on to say in verse 18, he says, So today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. And they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. I love how the Lord literally lays out the plan right before Jeremiah. He's like, they're going to fight against you. They're going to say things, Jeremiah, they're going, to, they're going to try to ridicule you, man, they're going to persecute you. Guess what? But they will not overcome you. You see, unless you've heard from the voice of God, you'll always live in fear. You'll always live in fear because all you're thinking is, they're going to come against me. And the voice of God said, they'll fight against you, but they're not going to overcome you, for I'm with you and I will rescue you. He gave him the whole plan. As a father, I've noticed that my kids will ask me questions when maybe they're questioning my ability to to do what they want me to do. They want to jump into the deep end of the pool, and I'm standing in the deep end of the pool, and they're going, Daddy, will you catch me? I'm saying, yes, I will. And the only way that they're actually going to make the leap and make the jump is if they trust what I said. The only way that they're going to make that jump into the deep end of that pool and trust that I'm going to catch them and rescue them and save them from drowning is so they trust me. And when you trust God, that's exactly what it looks like. He will tell you what's to come. He will tell you what's going to happen. He will tell you, listen, they're going to fight against you. They're going to talk about you, but I will not let you be overcome. I am with you, and I'm going to rescue you. And that's the moment Then, if you truly trust the Lord, you'll take the leap. If you truly trust the Lord, you'll speak out in boldness, unafraid of what the people might say around you, because you trust in him. And you trust in his ability and his power and in his promise and his word and his covenant with your life that he will not fail you. He will not let you be destroyed. You see, God warns us against shrinking back, against backsliding and turning away from our commitments to him. And whatever the mission is that God has given you and whatever he's given us, we must complete that mission, church. We must fulfill the task on earth or else we will face the judgment of God. He said, do not be terrified for them or I'll terrify you in front of them. <laughs> it just reminded me of what so many parents say. You crying? I'll give you a reason to cry. Remember that one? Hopefully your parents never told you that one. It's like, are you crying? I'll give you a reason to cry. As if, you know, you weren't already like, you know, beat up or hurt or whatever, you know. It's like, and this is what God's saying. He's like, listen, don't fear or I'll make you afraid. Don't fear, I'll make you afraid. But I love what he says, and he commands us to take a stand. He encourages us to not be afraid. He said, I made you like a fortified city. Man, if you heard God tell you that, I made you a fortified city. I, I picture, like, anybody ever heard of Alcatraz? It was like that old prison, you know, like in the San Francisco Bay. You know, I picture like something like that, just this this impenetrable place where you can't get in, can't get out. It's just this wall of steel. He He says, you're a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. This is the God of the universe. It doesn't matter if a million people came after you. He can protect your life. He can protect you from anything that they would try to do. And so we must believe that what God brings us to, that he can bring us through, amen? This wasn't a setup for Jeremiah to fail, but he was strategically positioned by God himself. And as long as we focus, and as long as his focus was on God and not on the fear, God would protect him and Jeremiah would never be overcome. And too many times God calls us to speak, to stand, to say something, to pray for somebody. And the first thing that the enemy does is plant that seed of fear. Well, what if they attack you on Facebook? And what if they, you know, get into all this, you know, controversial stuff? What if they criticize you at work? What if you lose that relationship? You could lose your job if you say this or that. Can I remind you of Peter and John? Let's read that verse 17 again. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, we must warn these men to speak no longer in his name. Then they called, him, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, just a few moments after this, after they had you know, said this before the Sanhedrin court, Peter and John went back to their people. They went back to the believers in, the, in their community and they reported what happened. And when the people of God heard this, this is so key, church. This is so important. We cannot miss this. The Bible says that they raised their voices in prayer. How many of you know that when you pray about something, no matter what it is, no matter how vile it is, no matter how it seems that the enemy has control over that situation, when you bring that thing into the throne room of God, he alone has the power to turn anything around, church. I don't care if it's a person that's an atheist and you think that they are the darkest, most worst lost soul in the history of the world. Guess what? God can reach anybody, but you've got to pray about it. You got to bring that thing to his throne room. So Acts 4 and 24 says, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He says, the kings of the earth, they rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. It says, but they did, it says they did what your power and what will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see, when you pray about a church, he's gonna give you, he's gonna enable that thing to happen in your life. They prayed over this. They said, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30, it says, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, they asked the Lord for a greater portion. They asked the Lord for more boldness. They ask the Lord for, for more signs and wonders and miracles. And if this isn't a part of your prayer, it needs to become it. To say, Lord, it is getting tougher. Lord, the pressure is getting greater. Lord, the fear is rising higher. But Lord, give me the boldness to speak your name. Give me the courage, God, to not shut up about you. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where the meeting was was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. You see, when you take it to the throne room of God in prayer and when you cancel out everything that the enemy has tried to do against you, the things that he's tried to bring against the church, and you identify them in the spirit and you say, you know what, devil, you're not going to allow that, that spirit of fear to creep into the church any longer. Not going to allow that spirit of, 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 oh, what are people going to think about me and, and, and people's opinions to, to control what it is that I believe. And when you cancel that out in the spirit and you speak against that and you say, Lord, enable us, God, with boldness. Enable us with truth, God. Enable us with courage, Lord, to speak out your name. The Bible says that he will pour out his spirit on you, church, and he will grant you that boldness. And the signs and the wonders and the miracles will increase. The evidence that God is there will continue forward. Hebrews 10 and 37 says this. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. I love this verse, but my righteous one will live by faith. And it says, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who believe and are saved. God is coming back for a bold church that isn't turning back. I said the Lord is coming back for a bold church that's going to keep their lampstand lit. In a darkened world. They're going to keep their faith out front like a city on a hill. Like a light to this world. For everyone to see. No matter the ridicule. No matter the persecution. No matter the words that tell you to silence your mouth, He's looking for a people that will speak up for injustice. He's looking for a people that will speak for unrighteousness, against unholiness, and the very things that pain the heart of God. How many of you know that we need Jesus? Amen? We need Jesus in our churches. We need Jesus in our country. We need Jesus in our workplaces. We need Jesus in our...